from the University of Texas at Austin, KUT Radio. This is In Black America. I planned to be a pediatrician. That was my goal. I've always wanted to work with children. And uh, so um, for, for those in the audience who, who may not know, in medical school, of course, you have to do your undergraduate. But once you get to medical school, although I have to say this is changing, but that's a story for another day, the first two years are mostly in the classroom, and the last two years were in the hospital and in the clinic. And as a third-year medical student at the time, it was customary to rotate through all the specialties. And I did, you know, 12 weeks of surgery and internal medicine and family medicine. Um, But when I got to my psychiatry rotation, I really felt at home. I have always been fascinated by the brain as an organ. And I just felt at home and inspired um, on my psychiatry rotation. And so I decided that I could... uh, also combine psychiatry with my love of children. Dr. Patrice A. Harris, MD, a psychiatrist and president-elect of the American Medical Association. Harris will serve one year as president-elect and in 2019 she will become the first African-American woman to lead the organization. Founded in 1847, the AMA has played a critical role in the development of medicine in this country. In July 2008, the American Medical Association issued a formal apology for more than a century of discriminatory policy that excluded African Americans from participating in the organization. It came more than 40 years after the AMA delegates denounced policies at state and local medical societies dating back to the 1800s that barred African Americans. Harris was inspired to go into the health profession for her love of children and her community and by TV family doctor Marcus Welby from the TV program Marcus Welby, M.D. I'm Johnny O'Hanson, Jr., and welcome to another edition of In Black America and beginning of our 48th season. On this week's program, Dr. Patrice A. Harris, president-elect the American Medical Association in Black America. I've always believed, again, in, in change, and, of course, as you serve on the board, of the American Medical Association. Of course, I've been a, a previous board member of the American Psychiatric Association. But you have an opportunity to to affect change even more. As you know, boards serve as oversight of our very hardworking team, our executive vice president, of all the wonderful staff who work so hard on behalf of physicians every day in the AMA. But I, I think uh, it's important because the board sets strategic goals for the organization, highlights areas where the organization may need to do a little bit more work. And so I always think it's important to aspire to leadership, certainly as, as the first African-American woman president. Dr. Patrice A. Harris, the practicing psychiatrist in Atlanta, Georgia. She was recently elected to be the 174th president of the American Medical Association. She will serve one year as president-elect, and in 2019, she will become the first African-American woman to lead the organization. Born and raised in Bluefield, West Virginia, in 1982, Harris earned a bachelor's degree in psychology from West Virginia University and a medical doctorate from West Virginia University School of Medicine. She completed a psychiatry residency and a child psychiatry fellowship at Emory University School of Medicine. A member of the AMA since 1995, Harris served in a number of leadership positions at the state level, 
including serving on the board and as president of the Georgia Psychiatric Physicians Association and on the Medical Association of Georgia's Council on Legislation. Also, she was the founding president of the Georgia Psychiatry Political Action Committee. Recently, in Black America, spoke with Dr. Patrice A. Harris, president-elect of the American Medical Association. Born and raised in Bluefield, West Virginia, a small town in southern West Virginia, uh, grew up there uh, when the community was thriving. My father worked on the railroads, and uh, my mother taught school. She taught junior high school math, later middle school math. I uh, was an only child but blessed to have a lot of cousins who lived uh, in Bluefield. My father had nine siblings, and seven of them stayed in Bluefield. And so we had a very large, close, extended family. In fact, when people think of the movie Soul Food, and remember how on uh, Sundays the uh, the uh, table was uh, full of lots of great things to eat, that's how Sundays were at my grandmother's house, who, of course, also lived in Bluefield. So um, I really enjoyed uh, growing up um, in, in Bluefield, West Virginia. What were some of your activities while you were in high school? Well, in high school, of course, I was uh, very involved. I guess uh, policy uh, was a love of mine even before I even recognized it. So, of course, I was very involved in uh, in student government, uh, lots of uh, community groups um, that were service groups in our small town. I was in the band and um, what was a majorette. Yeah, played clarinet, and okay. then uh, in both junior high and high school, I was a, a majorette. What attracted you to West Virginia University? Well, I went to a football game, actually, when I was in high school with my family. I'm a big sports enthusiastic, particularly uh, football, and I and I went up, and I, I loved the campus. Uh, candidly, it was uh, close to my parents. And certainly, um, although, um, you know, both of my parents, were, we were not wealthy, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. And so staying in state was also a consideration regarding uh, the, the cost of my education. So um, that's uh, what attracted me to uh, West Virginia University. I did all of my training there and, uh, of course, completed medical school there, but um, as uh, you may know, there, it was not a straight-line path for me, and there were some detours and challenges. As I say to everyone, every detour and challenge uh, presented a learning opportunity for me, and uh, ultimately I was able to achieve my goal of becoming a physician. What were some of those detours and challenges? Well, um, you know, my parents and my family were always very supportive, and I and I tell you, it never dawned on me that I uh, couldn't be anything that I, I, I wanted to be. But, um, you know, when I got to, I, I did not have anyone in my family who had gone to medical school. And um, so I didn't know what to major in. I didn't know the process. And uh, when I got uh, to the university, um, I, you know, wasn't uh, always uh, encouraged uh, to continue to pursue to pursue that goal. Uh, I always tell the stories that I was looking through a catalog, and yes, it was a catalog at the time of potential majors, and 
I, I was looking through, and the only thing that uh, even had anything remotely close to medicine was medical technology. And I thought, well, this must be what you major in if you want to go into medical school. But, of course, that was more of the folks in the wonderful profession who are, work in our pathology lab. And, again, noble profession, not what I wanted to do. Um, at one point, one of my advisors um, suggested I go to nursing school. Again, a wonderful, noble profession, uh, but not what I wanted to do. But as I said, I was uh, uh, persistent, and uh, I persevered and, and ultimately went to medical school. What sparked that initial interest in psychology? Well, so I planned to be a pediatrician. That was my goal. I've always wanted uh, to work with children. And uh, so um, for, for those in the audience who, who may not know, in medical school, of course, you have to do your undergraduate. But once you get to medical school, although I have to say this is changing, but that's a story for another day, the first two years are mostly in the classroom, and the last two years were in the hospital and in the clinic. And as a third-year medical student at the time, it was customary to rotate through all the specialties. And I did, you know, 12 months of, of surgery and not 12 months, I'm sorry, 12 weeks of surgery and internal medicine and family medicine. Um, but when I got to my psychiatry rotation, I really um, felt at home. I have always been fascinated by the brain as an organ, and uh, I just felt uh, at home and inspired on my psychiatry rotation, and so I decided that I could uh, also combine psychiatry with my love of working with children and then ultimately pursue a career in child and adolescent psychiatry. And so that's how I uh, decided to do psychiatry. Hopefully progress has been made. Were there other African Americans in your class at medical school? Well, at, at West Virginia, um, I was the only African American uh, in my in my class. But um, some progress has been made. I have to say, in both the gender, currently um, about fifty percent of uh, medical school class um, is made up of women. We still have ways to go when it comes to uh, communities of color, and I have to tell you that. Um, we, we, again, have a long ways to go regarding African-American women, uh, but we certainly, again, as a community, as a profession, um, as a society, uh, really need to, to look at the issues of African-American men in medical school, and not just medical school. Certainly, as a physician, I want everyone to uh, aspire uh, to my profession, it is uh, it is it is a wonderful profession. But but any but undergraduate, but particularly uh, in in uh, medical school, we need to certainly work on increasing both African American women. Um, but there is a critical shortage of African American men that are pursuing medicine as a career. I would assume setting up any medical practice is difficult, but is it more difficult for a psychiatric practice? I don't think it's any more difficult than any of my other colleagues in their uh, specialties. Certainly, um, we live in a world of, uh, of some burdensome uh, regulation, but I don't think the challenges are any more difficult. There are challenges but but I always uh, say to medical students 
or to anyone that um, has a desire to pursue medicine, do it. Because it allows you a, a platform in addition to the wonderful and remarkable honor of being able to, to care for your patients. That That is a relationship that's hard to describe uh, to folks that don't have the honor of doing that. But the doctor patient relationship is is sacred. Um, you know, we, we talk about that, and it's hard to appreciate, but it's so true. And even as a psychiatrist, uh, you know, my patients talk to me about issues that they may not even be comfortable with talking to other loved ones. And so I really can't underestimate uh, the, the honor and the privilege of the opportunity to, to be a physician in any specialty, um, but particularly as a psychiatrist, um, and and there are many ways to to serve. Uh, you can set up a private practice if you'd like. Um, you can work in a larger system. I always say, um, you know, the the goal and and what we work on at the American Medical Association and all of our advocacy and all of our policy is to make sure that every physician can practice in a location and a setting and a manner uh, that best meets their needs and their family's needs. And so that is the ultimate uh, goal, and uh, the AMA works on that um, through our advocacy and our policy. If you're just joining us, I'm Johnny O'Hanson, Jr., and you're listening to In Black America from KUT Radio, and we're speaking with Dr. Patrice Harris, Doctor of Psychiatry and the President-Elect of the American Medical Association. How long have you been a member of the Medical Association? Oh my goodness, it's it's over uh, twenty or twenty years or more. You know, I, I always uh, and some of my colleagues tease me. I say I'm a joiner because I do believe, and again, there's no one right way to affect change. But for me, I believe in changing and from the inside. Uh, so, um, you know, I joined at my local level and my state association and the national association, both in the general area of medicine, but also in my my specialty, because I, I do believe that, um, you know, it's important. Again, there's no one right way to do it, but for me, it's important to work and work on change and work on policy and advocacy and, and, and improvement uh, from the inside. Over the years, the AMA has become more inclusive. You will be the first African-American woman to lead the organization in its 173 years. Why was it important for you to extend to the leadership? Well, again, I've always believed, again, in in change. And, of course, as you uh, serve on the board of the American Medical Association. Of course, I've been a, a previous board member of the American Psychiatric Association. But you have an opportunity to um, to affect change even more. As you know, boards serve as oversight of our very hardworking team, our executive vice president, of all the wonderful staff who work so hard on behalf of physicians every day in the AMA. But I, I think uh, it's important because the board sets a strategic strategic goals for the organization, highlights areas where the organization may need to do a little bit more work. And so I always think it's important to aspire to leadership, certainly as as the first African-American woman president. But I do want to acknowledge Dr. Lonnie Bristow, who was the first African-American president 
of the AMA over uh, 20 years or so ago. But I also want to be able to serve as a role model and so that others see that not only uh, can I become a physician, but I can also aspire to leadership in organized medicine and be there setting those strategic priorities and and goals. So that was why it was important for me personally uh, to aspire to leadership within the American Medical Association. Are there any shortcomings of the AMA that you want to address as president? Well, there's no shortcomings. You know, the the AMA, like any or, or other organization, hopefully, I would say other organizations, but I know this about the AMA, is that um, you have to continue to uh, keep up with what's going on in your profession, uh, the challenges of our profession, and uh, that's what we have the opportunity to do twice a year when our House of Delegates meet and set priorities, you know, address and identify the areas. We know that there continues to be um, health disparities. We know that we need to make sure that the practice environment is sort of a level playing field uh, for physicians. We know that we need to address issues of chronic diseases. The AMA has as its priority improving health under our uh, goal of improving health outcomes or addressing the issues of prediabetes. We want everyone to assess uh, their own numbers, know their numbers when it comes to their risk for diabetes. We want to prevent folks from getting diabetes. The other area is hypertension. We know that there are a number of folks in this country who have hypertension, high blood pressure, and it's not under control. And of course, from high blood pressure and diabetes, which affect disproportionately the African-American community, untreated are significant uh, health consequences. So we are very proud of our work there. You also may know that I chair our AMA's Opioid Task Force. Uh, We know that uh, there are too many opioid overdoses, and opioids are affecting our community have affected our community actually for some time. And the goal today, we know that uh, in the past, the goal has been or the strategy or the intervention was incarceration. The AMA is highlighting the importance of treatment for those who have substance use disorders, not incarceration. And finally, uh, another strategic priority is to look, I alluded to this a little earlier, to look at how we are educating the next generation of physicians and the AMA is leading on that. So those are just a few of our priorities, but we have a wide portfolio of, of policies all in the service of improving the health of our nation. And again, I just want to highlight um, just recently at the June meeting where I was elected president-elect, the House of Delegates passed a a report regarding the next phase of our work, the AMA's work on health disparities and and health equity. And so I would uh, ask everyone to stay tuned for our work on that. We have history of great work. Uh, We co-convened the Commission to End Health Disparities uh, early in the 2000s, um, and now we are embarking on the next phase of our work in that area um, to promote health equity. Dr. Harris, does the AMA advocate more African Americans and people of color participating in clinical studies? 
we definitely want to make sure that the results of clinical studies reflect our country. If we want to make sure that we are addressing health equities, we think it is important for communities of color to participate in those studies uh, so that we can make sure that treatment interventions are work across the diverse patient population of our country. And so we know, and, and again, we, we know the, the past history of issues, but it's important now for patients to talk to their physicians about those opportunities. Again, it won't be for everyone, but it's important as, as treatment, medications, interventions are developed, we want to make sure that they are developed with some knowledge of um, how effective they are in diverse patient populations. Dr. Harris, addressing your specialty, why does mental health matter? I am so glad you asked that, and particularly for uh, for this audience. Um, you know, uh, mental health for so long has been uh, looked at as an aside in some areas, uh, outside of the medical mainstream in some areas, or uh, as a result of a character flaw or a moral weakness or you just didn't pray mm-hmm. hard enough. But we now know that mental disorders, mental illnesses, including uh, substance use disorders, are brain disorders. They are absolutely brain disorders. We have the science and the evidence to show that. And so we have to make sure that that information is out there and it's not about a moral weakness or a character flaw or you just didn't pray hard enough. Brain disorders or chronic medical conditions, just like hypertension, high blood pressure, just like diabetes, there are no cure, but there are treatment. And we have to make sure that that information is out there. I think uh, we've come a long way. We've had so uh, many people, as you know, and oftentimes uh, celebrities come forth with their struggles with bipolar with their struggles with depression, with their struggles with substance use disorders. And that's important because sometimes it is helpful to see that, hey, I'm not the only one. I do not want anyone to suffer in silence. Um, For some patients I've treated um, in the African-American community, they said, you know, I thought that it was normal to go through life with a depressed mood or Uh, a decreased appetite or uh, lack of interest or energy, I thought, well, you know, I'm working hard or this is happening, and that's just a normal state of being. And when they have been uh, successfully treated, they realize that that is not a normal state of being. Um, And so I definitely, uh, again, don't want anyone to suffer in silence. But I know there's a particular challenge in our community regarding the stigma. And so, again, that will be something else that I have the opportunity uh, to amplify as uh, while I'm in uh, leadership. And the importance of integrating mental health into overall health. There is no separation. I always like to say the brain is connected to the rest of the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is no separation. And again, we're getting more and more data that if you are depressed, your outcomes for diabetes and heart disease are worse. And so we have got to make sure that um, that everyone, uh, but again, particularly those in our community, talk to their uh, physicians about this and appreciate that this is a chronic medical disorder just like any other disorder. 
Are we coming to grips with some of the conditions in which African-Americans live upon, particularly homelessness and, and exposure to violence? Well, we know it. We know that, and then most uh, people call those the social de- social determinants of health. You know, we heard, uh, I think, Robert Wood Johnson say, you know, where you live, you work, and you play has an effect on your health as much as your ability to see your physician and as your ability to take your medications and your ability to exercise and, and eat right. And so we are, we've identified these as particular issues, but we have a long way to go in addressing those. And that's why when we look at health, it is more than about health care. The AMA has longstanding policy in looking at these issues regarding the social determinants of health, making sure that it is highlighted that we need to make sure that uh, housing is important and employment is important and education is important and food security is critical and having access to healthy, nutritious, fresh food. All of those are issues that have been amplified, but we all have to work together to make sure there are solutions in place. And uh, certainly, I believe you will, I'm certain, uh, you will see the AMA uh, continue to highlight uh, some of those issues. I've read in in certain publications that Someone may experience bias and inequality of, of care, and African-American patients are treated different from, from the majority population patients. Is that something the AMA is looking at? Well, certainly we know that uh, there's been studies that show that, uh, that provider bias can impact um, health and health care. Certainly, the AMA is committed uh, to addressing that issue. Uh, I believe we we have been working on this issue. It's been identified before. Again, the work of the Commission in Health Disparities identified that issue. But as you know, that, like many other issues, requires constant work. There is no. It's a journey and not a, a, a destination. We will have to be constantly vigilant constantly educating everyone about that, teaching that uh, in our medical schools and in our residency training programs. Again, constantly looking at that issue because we know that we do not want uh, bias uh, to impact health care. So we have looked at that and we'll continue to look at that. And uh, again, um, that problem, uh, nor actually any problem, is not ours alone to solve. That's why, um, as we solve these issues and look at these issues, it requires an all-in approach. Uh, but certainly, physicians and the AMA uh, will take the lead on 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 um, our issues and addressing um, these issues from the physician standpoint. Dr. Harris, does primary care providers look at your specialty as part of this total health wellness scenario? Absolutely, absolutely. The, the, the entire physician community does. I would say just over the last years that I've been involved in the AMA House of Delegates, we uh, many policies looking at this issue, and there is um, and has been and um, a trajectory of increasing awareness of the importance of mental health again as regards overall health. Dr. Patrice A. Harris, M.D., President-elect of the American Medical Association. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions as to future In Black America programs, 
Email us at inblackamerica at kut.org. Also, let us know what radio station you heard us over. Remember to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station or of the University of Texas at Austin. You can hear previous programs online at kut.org. Until we have the opportunity again for technical producer David Alvarez, I'm Johnny O'Hanson, Jr. Thank you for joining us today as we begin our 48th season, and please join us again next week. CD copies of this program are available and may be purchased by writing In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. That's In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. This has been a production of KUT Radio.